0: Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 3, 7 through 8, and verse 15. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And as it's already been alluded to a couple times, we had a great day yesterday as we got started tearing out all the old carpet and removing some walls in our in our brand new building that we purchased in Bettendorf. I'm sure that there's going to be some folks moving a little slow today. Uh, I am one of them. I can't tell you, I was incredibly proud of our church. It might be the most proud I've ever been of our church yesterday. Because uh, we, we just put a post out on Church Center. We didn't, you know, nag anybody. We didn't demand anything from anybody. We just said, hey, we're going to do some demo. And I had some goals that I, of stuff I'd like to get done. And we got everything that I thought even possible. We got that done and we got even more done. And this was a huge just, I mean, I was just thrilled all day long. We have guys in their 60s just showing us how to work. Showing us how to work hard. A bunch of men just the only thing we were doing was working and hooping and hollering. All right. There was no complaining. There was no standing around. It was just a whole lot of work. And then, you know, the young, the young teenagers, I was blown away at our teenagers watching their dads and their grandfathers work and then just jumping in there and getting after it, yanking carpet. I mean, we, we crushed it yesterday. I, I, I there's probably there's at least 50 guys that showed up and it was an absolute blessing. We got a ton done. And if you couldn't make it, don't worry. There's going to be more opportunities coming. All right. So we crushed it. And listen, to anybody who, who, who experienced the blue room of death. All right. The blue, the blue carpet room of death. Right. Thank you guys for persevering for two hours. We, we got this whole place knocked out and there was like one or two rooms that Satan put the glue down in that room, okay? That's all, that's all I'm saying. And it was hard to get up, all right? So thank you, everybody that came out yesterday. We got, a, we got a ton done, and man, it was a great way to kick off the project of remodel over the next few months that we're going to be doing in our new building. So to God be the glory on that. Now, let me pray for us as we get started this morning. God, oh man, <clears throat> I, I just first want to admit that I am tired this morning, and I'm worn out, and I need your grace. I need your help. I need your spirit to fill me and to, uh, energize me to, to control what I'm thinking, to control what I'm saying. I want you to think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. Lord, I pray it would be all of you and none of me. I need your help this morning. And I pray, um, all of us that are sitting here, Lord God, we need your help to hear. Jesus consistently said to those who have ear, let him hear to those who have an ear, let him hear. And that means sometimes we've got ears, but sometimes we can't listen. Sometimes our ears are clogged. And so I pray that you would open ears this morning. You would allow people to hear not my voice, but to hear your voice from your word. I pray that you would do all of this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you are just joining us, we are currently studying the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Now, we're doing this with the sole purpose of better understanding our origins. Now, why? Many of us don't understand where we come from. We don't understand God's purposes for our design, how he created us in his image, male and female. And therefore, we don't really know who we are or how we should now live. So this is our premise. If you don't know where you came from, if you don't know how God made you, then you're not going to know what you're for and how you're now supposed to live. Well... Over the next couple of weeks here, today we're going to be looking at what biblical masculinity actually looks like, and next week we're going to be looking at biblical femininity. Now, it might go without saying that this is some of the most countercultural teachings of the Bible. Many of us have probably never heard a sermon or a teaching on these topics because most churches just They either don't study the word of God on this or they don't want to teach on this because it's so controversial in our culture today. So it's no wonder why a few generations later, our kids are growing up confused about what it means to be a man or a woman. They're being taught that gender is nothing more than a social construct. Well, God's word says, In the beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So far in this series, this is going to be kind of a culmination of what we've learned so far about the distinctions God made between men and women. We've learned that God made us equal in dignity, value, and worth. But we are not equivalent. We are not the same. Man and woman are not interchangeable pieces on a game board. He made males and females with biological differences that point to our grand purposes in life. The man was created to work and keep the garden. His orientation is to be outwards, providing and protecting for his loved ones. His body corresponds to these tasks, having greater bone density and larger muscle mass and overall being more disagreeable than his female counterpart. He's meant to spot threats out there. Dads are meant to have the dad voice, okay? These are all aspects of God's design for men. And Eve, we have seen, is to be Adam's helper, She was created from his side and is more relationally oriented. She alone is the type of human who has the potential to create, sustain, and nurture new human life within her. Our culture might need to hear that again. She alone is the type of human who has the potential to create, sustain, and nurture new human life within her. Adam sees her, loves her. And calls her Eve, which means the mother of all living. Her body corresponds to her created purpose. This is one of the most glorious things that she was created to be and to do. Now, let me make a controversial claim this morning. Biological males are meant to grow up into masculine men. Biological females are meant to grow up into feminine women. Young men and women, this is one of God's callings on your life. You are to grow up into something, and that's defined by your biological sex. Now, this statement, I said it was controversial, and everybody over the age of 50 was like, huh? Right? This statement would be the most obviously true statement in nearly every single culture or civilization that has ever existed until ours. Today, we say, we claim we have no idea what a man or a woman is. That our kids are being taught in our schools, in our colleges, On Daniel Tiger and all the shows that we used to think, give me an hour where I can do the dishes and let them just watch something. And now they're being force fed these lies that they don't even know what malehood or femalehood is. Our kids are being taught that masculinity and femininity are merely social constructs created by this big bad idea of patriarchy. Now, where have these ideas come from? Well, in the mid-20th century, in the, hear this, hear how new this is. In the mid-20th century, we invented a new way of categorizing human beings, one not categorized on biological sex, but on gender. Up until the mid-20th century, the only thing that you talked about having a gender was the human language. It was never applied to human beings. This began in feminism, but quickly morphed into what is now being called the gender paradigm. Now, I'm gonna, I've got a long quote for you. I want to uh, read for you this morning. It is by Abigail Favale in her book, The Genesis of Gender. And she was a, um, a gender theory professor before she became a Christian. And here's what she writes, quote, According to the gender paradigm, there is no creator. And so we are free to create ourselves. The body—if you've been around this sermon series for a long, for a long time—you realize that this originated in Genesis chapter three. We want to be autonomous. We don't want God to tell us what to do. And here it, its culmination. We want—we don't—we uh, we say we have no creator. We get to create ourselves. Keep reading. The body is an object with no intrinsic meaning. Again, my. Biological sex doesn't tell me anything about my purpose. We give to it whatever meaning we want. So we don't receive a meaning from God and from our bodies, the created world. We can determine what meaning is. Using, look, technology to undo what is perceived to be natural. We do not receive meaning from God or our bodies or the world. No, we impose meaning. We take to be real What we take to be real is merely, oh man, this is so weird, a linguistic construct. That means the only reason we believe in in femininity and masculinity, the only reason we believe in these things is because language has already defined them for us. So we grew up hearing masculine language. We grew up hearing feminine language, and therefore we think masculinity and femininity are an actual thing. They're not. It's just linguistically constructed. Listen. Ergo, we should consciously wield language to conjure the reality we want. Why are we making people use pronouns? Because it's the only way that we can define reality for ourselves. Because the natural world doesn't align with the reality we want to see. So we have to control people's language. Tell here's my gender pronouns. Here's my, you know, whatever suffix that I want to have. Keep going. To be free, here's what their idea of freedom is. To transgress limits continually. To unfetter the will. To transgress. The only desire. Freedom now is just to cross boundaries. Put a line in the sand, I'm going to cross it. Sexually, gender, all these different ways, right? Woman and man are language-based identities that can be inhabited by anyone. See, this is where this, we get this. This is how people are actually saying, they're calling people pregnant people now and they're saying men can get pregnant. Our mainstream media, even our Quad Cities Times, they're putting stuff out, they're using this language. Because truth is just a story we tell ourselves and all self-told stories are true. Wow, there it is, all self-told told stories are true. This is the worldview that your children are being taught. You might not be aware of it, but this is what they're being taught or they're, they're catching through the majority of Netflix, Hulu, all these children programmings that used to be kind of, you know, just normal and teaching morals and things. And now this is the kind of stuff they're teaching. Well, in walks the apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul, who has not been affected by this kind of ideology at all, of course, writing 2,000 years ago, he's closing out his first letter to the Christians in Corinth. And this is what he writes. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. How dare he? Who says there's such a thing as men and they act a certain way? Hmm. Hmm. He says, "Let all you, let all that you." Oh, he says, "Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love." See, Paul has no problem saying, "Act like men." That's what it means to be masculine. It is to have the attributes of a man. All men are male, but not all men are masculine. Masculinity is something that you need to aspire to. Something you need to mature into. It's something that you need to have a vision of, a picture of, an idea of, and usually models of. And you live up and grow up into that idea. Now, people push back and say, there, now there are some there are some culturally defined aspects of masculinity and femininity. It's always that way. So people like to throw those out like it kind of makes it not meaning anything. Like, like well, well, how does a man dress? Because, you know, William Wallace wore a dress. It's like, well, a kilt isn't a dress, all right? And I don't think you'd ever be confused by being a feminine person, okay? Right? Watch Braveheart if you don't know who he is, all right? So if men are wearing kilts, then men wear kilts, right? And they also carry a broad axe. So do that too, okay? That's not a dress, okay? Men don't dress like Harry Styles, okay? Ooh, I might get in trouble this morning. There we go. All right, so there are some culturally defined aspects, but to transgress the idea. So if all men are wearing kilts and you come in wearing something else, right? That might be feminine. So there are some culturally defined aspects, but masculinity and femininity is still a real thing. Now, of course, before I jump into what masculinity is, as soon as we hear Paul say something like, act like men, more than likely all kinds of caricatures come into our minds of what that looks like. Just what does it mean to act like a man? So before I define for us what biblical masculinity is, let me first describe what it isn't. Here are three common counterfeits, counterfeit ideas of masculinity. Now listen, what God creates, Satan wants to counterfeit, right? We have counterfeit dollar bills. We have counterfeit $100 bills. We have counterfeit Air Jordans. Nobody tries to counterfeit something that's worthless something that's meaningless. You only try to counterfeit something that's actually valuable, that's actually meaningful, right? So God has something called masculinity and Satan wants to counterfeit. Satan wants to bend it. Satan wants to lie about it because it's so valuable. Well, here's three common counterfeit ideas of masculinity and just so happens they all start with the letter M today, okay? Number one, the meathead. Yes, sir. This is the man who's all brains and no bronze. This is the man who thinks his masculinity is defined by his biceps or his bench press max. Listen, masculinity, biblical masculinity is not walking around in wife beaters and living in the gym. This counterfeit is epitomized like guys like David Goggins who spend the majority of his waking hours working out, but he doesn't know how to maintain relationships or be a good husband. I'm not gonna go into that too much. Number two, the MOOC. If you don't know who the MOOC is, the MOOC was kind of created by television executives. By definition, a MOOC is a foolish, insignificant, or contemptible Man. This is the common modern trope of masculinity from Hollywood. Think Homer Simpson, Al Bundy, Ron Burgundy, Billy Madison. Happy every one of his movies, okay? Every one of Adam Sandler's movies, basically, until this new, the new one's coming out, right? And now we've got it perpetuating on YouTube. Guys like Logan Paul, are mooks. Mooks are usually, no, they're always immature. They're usually crude boys who can shave, who can do everything in their power to avoid real responsibility and shirk the hard work that comes with true masculinity. The mooc is often soft, funny, immature guy who gets along with everyone and even has a big social media following but runs from responsibility and therefore never really adds much to society. He doesn't carry much weight or make big sacrifices for others. Proverbs 12, 11 says this, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Mooks spend their life following worthless pursuits. So number one, the meathead, number two, the mook, number three, the man whore. Now I don't use that word loosely. This counterfeit idea of masculinity seeks to bed as many women as possible and avoid all the responsibilities that come with relationships, marriage, or family life. This counterfeit of masculinity is epitomized in rap culture and has been made more prevalent through social media dating apps that allow men to swipe through their potential partners and hook up with multiple women a day. It's becoming more and more popular today for men not to stay committed to one woman, but seek to just have as many children as possible. Guys like Andrew Tate out there. It's rampant in large cities. These guys are like the foolish young man in the book of Proverbs who is led by his sinful desires into the house of a prostitute and doesn't realize that he is like a lamb going to the slaughterhouse? So that's three common counterfeits of masculinity. Truly masculine men are not meatheads, mooks, or manhors. So what does it mean to be a masculine man? Well, when Paul tells the Corinthian men to act like men, he says some things that are traditionally ascribed to masculinity in nearly every single culture. He tells them, one, to be watchful. Man, he's saying here, to be masculine is to be on alert. To be on guard for enemies. To be, Think of ourselves as a protector of the weak. We are to protect those that are under our care. That we aren't to be the type of men who are asleep at our post. We're to be watchmen on the walls. We're not to be distracted. Well, what do we get distracted by? Well, one, we can get so focused on our careers, we can get so focused on our hobbies. We can get so focused on our goals that we lose sight of the fact that we are actually in a cultural war, a spiritual war right now and we are meant to be the protectors. We are meant to stay ready and keep our head on a swivel to protect those we love. We're to be watchful. Masculine men grow up to be watchful. We know this. As little boys, boys aren't watchful, right? But we grow up and we're meant to grow up into this. Then he says, we are to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. In other words, be resolute or unmovable. Men, there's a reason we're more disagreeable than our female counterparts. We're meant to be that way. We're meant to be a little hard-headed. We're meant to be a little bull-headed. This means it's actually a bad thing to be a wishy, washy, or double-minded man. It's a bad thing to not have some opinions and some staunch beliefs. It's a it's a, we should have some, you know, some things that we believe and we hold to very firmly. Obviously, everything that's revealed to us in the scriptures. Masculinity is meant to be firm and rooted in the faith. It doesn't run or hide. It's got deep roots that no matter how things are going in the culture, no matter how things are going out there, we've got deep roots that go down into Jesus Christ, and we stand, we stand firm. Stands firm even in the midst of battles or storms. Then lastly, or the next, he says, "Be strong. Be strong. To be masculine is to be strong. Listen, it is not a virtue. To be a wimp. Masculinity isn't defined by your bench press. But if you need to ask your wife to pull the stroller out of the van because she deadlifts more than you, you probably need to go to the gym. <laughs> I said it last week. I'll say it again. If you hear a bump in the night, honey, go get it. Right? Right? You're not being a man. You're not being masculine. And all of this, he ends with, is to be done in love, which is an interesting statement. So I want you to hear this. Masculinity is meant to be tough and tender, okay? It's meant to be have a tough exterior covered by a, a tender interior, right? Men aren't meant to be wearing their emotions on their sleeve and crying all the time and you know, tearing up at chick flicks. They're not meant to be that way, right? They're meant to be tough. But Paul says, let all this toughness be tenderized by love, be done in love. In other words, masculine love is meant to be strong, protective, watchful, and steadfast. That's what masculine love looks like in real life when it puts on flesh. Now, These are just a few attributes of masculinity that all men are meant to grow up into. But what is the essence of biblical masculinity? If you get down to a core, to the root, what is the essence of biblical masculinity? And I don't think I've heard a better definition than this one. Biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. A man who takes responsibility is a man who is learning masculinity. And a man who runs from responsibility is a man who's not. The Bible calls this assumption of responsibility. It means I'm, ta- I'm taking ownership of this thing. I'm responsible for how it turns out. The Bible calls this assumption of responsibility headship. Adam, we've learned, was created to be the head of his future family. He was to take responsibility to work and to keep the garden and to provide and protect For his wife. But what did Adam do? We've we've learned in the past few weeks, Adam failed in this responsibility. He allowed Satan to sneak in and deceive Eve, and then they both together sinned against God. Then, when God came looking for them, what did Adam do? Adam shunned his responsibility, Adam ran from his responsibility. He failed to take ownership of his sin and he instead blamed Eve and he blamed God who gave Eve to him as a helper. So Adam's sin was a failure in biblical masculinity and we have been failing ever since. Men, how many people have you blamed this week? Not even people. How many inanimate objects have you blamed this week? We blame our parents. Man, I just never, I, I, I grew up poor. I never, no, my parents never provided anything for me. They didn't have a college education. They couldn't provide that for me. I could, we blame our parents. We blame our bosses. Man, this guy just, pff, I think he's insecure around me. I think that's his problem. Doesn't just recognize true talent. We blame our kids. I just don't know what's wrong with these kids. Man, I know I've done everything right. Must be their problem, I guess. You know, can lead a horse to water. Can't make them drink, clearly. We blame our kids. We blame the economy. We blame the weather. We blame our backs. That's what I'm blaming this morning. I'll tell you that. We blame anything. We are just like Adam and we don't want to take the responsibility for the things in our life. We don't want to take ownership of it. How many kids have you challenged them on failing a test and how many kids naturally go, I just didn't work very hard? Every time, what is it? The teacher, whatever was on the test was not what we were supposed to study. They they, they gave us a completely different test. It was a pop quiz. I didn't have a chance to cram the night before and fake learning, right? They'd blame anything other than saying, man, yeah, I just slacked off, dad. Wanted to play video games last night. My bad, right? We don't want to take ownership. Here's what God says to us. Men, and this is a heavy weight. This is a heavy weight. This is the glory of masculinity. This is the weight. Glory means weightiness. This is the weight of masculinity. Everything, God says to us, everything that is going on in your life, everything that is going on in your marriage, everything that is going on in your family, it might not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Now that's a heavy weight. You look at the stuff going on in your kids, that's my responsibility. You look at the stuff that's going on in your wife, that's my responsibility. It's a heavy weight. How do we bear up under that weight? How does that weight not just crush us? Quite simply, because Jesus Christ came and was crushed for us. Here's what happens. God the Father sends God the Son into our world to redeem us. And listen. And to redeem our masculinity from the curse of sin. Think about it. Biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus is the epitome of masculinity. Jesus is the perfect definition of masculinity. Jesus, look at, with a smile on his face, Jesus gladly came to this earth in order to take responsibility for our screw-ups. Hebrews 12.2 tells us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He gladly took the responsibility, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That means Jesus gladly took responsibility for our sins. That means Jesus, or we made the mess, and Jesus came and cleaned it up. Jesus was without sin, and yet gladly chose to become sin on the cross so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus shows us what it means to be masculine. And by coming and living the perfect life and dying a substitutionary death and raising again on the third day, Jesus redeems masculinity for us. He is restoring us back into his image of what we used to be or should have been in the garden. That means that Jesus Christ is the measure of our masculinity. Men, this is tough. Right? We often want to find the weakest guy in the room and measure ourselves against him. Right? Look at that guy over there, he's weak, right? We're not meant to measure ourselves against one another. Our ultimate standard is Jesus Christ. He's our measure. Jesus took our fallen humanity into the grave with him. And then he emerged with a new way to be human and a renewed way of being masculine. Now, unlike Adam, Jesus Christ killed the dragon to get the girl. Right? Where Adam failed, Adam didn't rebuke the serpent, Adam should have cut the head off the serpent and brought it back as a fealty to his God and said, look what I found in your garden. He was tempting my wife. Right? That's what Adam should have done. That would have been masculine leadership, but he didn't. He listened to the lies and he went along with his wife and he ate and everything happened. Well, Jesus Christ did the exact opposite. Jesus Christ killed the dragon to get his bride. He's succeeded where Adam failed. And Jesus killed that dragon in a very specific way, or we could at least say put a leash on that dragon in a very specific way, and that is through dying himself. Sacrifice. When Jesus saw his bride, the church heading down the road to destruction, what did Jesus do? Jesus came to us. Jesus didn't blame like Adam did. He bore the cross. Jesus didn't shun the responsibility. He took it. Jesus didn't point fingers at us and what a bunch of morons down there. No, he came to us and paid the price. Jesus, all throughout the scriptures, listen to this, man, this will challenge you. This convicts me. Jesus, born poor, Jesus is a carpenter, Jesus is raised doing hard manual labor, walking everywhere in the Middle Eastern sun all the time, and we have no collections of Jesus ever griping, groaning, or complaining once. It's like, what the heck did he talk about? <laughs> first thing we do in the morning is complain about the weather. That's a fir- our first gripe, right? Right? Instead, Jesus gladly and graciously gave himself up for us, his bride, that he might make us holy. Christ died for the sins of Adam and all the sons of Adam who follow in his sinful steps, that he might make a way for us to return to our father and listen, and recover our royal calling. So men, if you recognize today, like I do, the many ways that you have failed to lead in love and take responsibility for those under your leadership, listen to this good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for failed and fallen men. And it is a living and abiding hope. A hope that wakes up with you every single morning. A hope that maintains you while you're sleeping. A hope that never leaves you or forsakes you. There's always hope for you to grow up into your masculine role and your masculine calling. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he promises to save us, to forgive us, and to change us more and more into his image. It's in this way that Jesus is constantly at work on us, redeeming our masculinity. In Jesus, we learn that masculinity is not machismo. Masculinity isn't just Rambo and Rocky, all right? Though biblical masculinity does, we see this in Jesus, it does bleed for others. Jesus took the rap. He took the right hand of the father so we wouldn't have to. Jesus owned it. There's never been another more manly thing to do than to say I've never sinned, but I will take responsibility for all the wrong that they've done, all the evil they've brought into the world, all the brokenness. I will take responsibility and I will take the punishment for it. There's never been a more masculine thing to do. So, man, if this is the good news of Jesus Christ. He is redeeming our masculinity. Jesus owned our sin and laid down his life to save us from it. So when Paul says to men, then in Ephesians, Right? that men are to love their wives like Christ loved the church, this is what he means. We are to serve them like Jesus served us. We are literally to lay our life down for them. We're to sacrifice for them. We're to bear bear burdens for them. We're to take responsibility for them. We're to serve them like Jesus served us. Now, I like the way C.S. Lewis says it in his book of the Narnia series, The Horse and His Boy. Here's what King Loon of Archland says. And I think I put this quote up there. I did. Cool. For this is what it means to be a king. And first off, what it means to be a king. We were raised to be kings, right? We were born to be kings in the garden. So we're learning to be kings again. That's what a masculine man is. For this is what it means to be a king. To be first in every desperate attack. And last in every desperate defeat or retreat. Right? We're to go first, men. First in, last out. I can't tell you how many I saw yesterday. N- nobody standing around, right? Nobody having to take phone calls walking away because, you know, I saw men going first. I saw men getting after it yesterday and getting there early and staying late till the job was done. It was awesome to see. That was masculinity in effect yesterday. First in every desperate attack, last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. Oh, man, that's what I'm talking about. That's what's having the joy of the Lord, to rejoice in all things. And again, I say rejoice, right? If it's stale cereal I got in the fridge or if it's a steak, whatever, or if it's whatever it is, right? I'm receiving it from the hand of God and I can rejoice in it. Whether it's a hundred degrees, I get, I have a buddy who always talks every winter about moving to Texas and I hate him for it. Every time I say, you're being a wimp. You're not being masculine. Real men receive real weather from the hand of God. The hand of God delivers it to us. Literally, there's no no other thing where you wake up every every day knowing God delivered this to me, whether it's 70 degrees and sunny or 39 degrees and raining. It came to us from God and it's meant to be received with joy and real men receive it and respond to it with masculine strength, right? And we can rejoice if it's eight below zero or if it's 108, right? We can rejoice in all things. That's masculine. That's what we do. When Joe, Joe Rigney was commenting on this text here on the horse and the boy, he says this. Kingship and by extension True masculinity means being the first into battle. If there's a danger to be faced, a true man will face it first. This isn't just physical danger. This is men being aware of spiritual danger. Being aware of the threats that are trying to get your children. Pornography, the lies of the enemy. A true man studies culture. A true man figures out what's the threat. How is the enemy going to try to get my, into my daughter's mind or get into my son's mind? What's his normal tactics right now? A, a masculine man understands that, studies that, prepares for it and protects his family from it. If there's a burden to be born, a man will bear it First. A man will see to it that pain and hardship fall in his lap before they ever fall under those under his care. That says a, a man, a truly masculine man says, I'll bear the weight first. Too many men think male headship means making demands, getting their way and riding around on a high horse. But godly leadership doesn't give us the right to lord our authority over others it means that it is our glory to die first so biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility see this is what all of the counterfeit ideas of masculinity are running from this is why many men today are choosing not to get married they're afraid of this weight they are afraid of the weight of responsibility. And there's also some things that the legal system is set against men today, that you can be a great husband and your wife could choose to leave you. And it's something like 80% of all divorces are filed by women. And she can take half of everything that you've made. And she can take your children away from you and you don't have the same rights as her. So there are some ways that our legal system is set against masculinity. Masculinity. But this is also when we push away from this and we're afraid of this, we're afraid of carrying this weight, this is one of the reasons why we remain immature. We, our generation and Generation Z and the younger generations are almost perpetually Immature. Why? Because we mature into manhood by carrying weight, by taking on responsibility. We're meant to look at something and go, I don't know if I can carry that. And when somebody says, who can carry that? We go, not sure if I can put the backpack on. I'm looking for somebody to take over this new role at work. And a man says, I'll take it on. You think you can handle it? Yes. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I hope I can. That's what men do. Men don't fiddle around, I don't really know. You know, big financial opportunity arrives for them. It's a lot of risk. I don't know. I don't know. Nah, probably not. Probably not. No, men, you're meant to be a risk taker. You're meant to carry weight, more weight than you think you can. And you put that backpack on and the first day you're like, oh no, what did I do? And a week later you're like, oh, this ain't that bad. That's how you mature into manhood. You take on more weight than you think you can carry and you realize, oh, I was actually built for this. My body responds to this. My nervous system responds to this. My soul responds to this. We mature into manhood by carrying weight, by taking responsibility for everything in our life and those around us. Christian men don't blame those on their team. They don't blame their coworkers or employees. They don't blame their spouse or kids. And when they do, they repent. They take responsibility. Whatever's going on, it might not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. Now, what does this mean in a really practical way? As I close, it means this. And I had, we got a chance to talk about this in my missional community a couple weeks ago. It means that if we've been at work all day and our wife has been home with the kids, I listen. I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. You've worked hard and you feel exhausted. I know you are, and you are tired. You are genuinely worn out, and you are genuinely tired. It is tough providing for the family. It is exhausting work. And I also know more than likely your wife is tired too. Her work is exhausting too. Here's what the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility looks like for the Christian man in this situation. After a hard day's work, a godly man enters his home, not with a list of demands, but with an eagerness to give. He comes to relieve the burdens of his wife, not add to them. He comes to play with his kids, not send them off to the room while he puts his feet up. Listen, I know you want 10 minutes to unwind. I know that your soul is intimately connected to your lazy boy and it's calling your name. I have one too. I know you feel like your tank is empty. And the, and the honest to God answer is your tank probably is empty. But what you get to realize in a Christ, as a Christian man is when you reach empty, God flips the switch and gives you another tank. You ne- see, most of you never had that. See, I've, dr- I've, driven, I've driven F-150s and big trucks, you know, 20 years or more being in the construction field. And my first trucks all had two tanks. And what it meant as a an immature 20-year-old 20 is I could ride on this tank until my truck went... Goo, go, 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 and then I could flip the switch, and it went to the next tank, and then I could, I'm not leaving any in the tank here, right? And I can go. The Bad thing is then you run that tank empty, and you think you can flip back, right? then didn't work that way. Here's what we need to do. When you pull into the garage, man, or you pull up to your house, you need to take your need, your emptiness your exhaustion to the father in prayer and say, God, I am exhausted, but my job description doesn't end right here. My job description is to take the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. So I need you to give me another gear tonight. I need you to flip the tank tonight. I need you to expand my capacity to love and lead my family tonight, even while I am exhausted. This is when I need that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's far more about laying down your life for those whom you love than it is about scoring touchdowns. Now, we got to share this with a man this week and learning how to grow into manhood and he came back the next week. He didn't, th- he didn't know if he could do it the week before. He came back next week. He said, what'd you do? He said, I found another gear. I said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Come on, let's go. Right? Didn't think I could do it. Did it. I lived. I survived. Right? That's what it means to be a man. Now, I heard recently that some women find this idea of masculinity and manhood kind of demeaning. They think it makes them out to be a burden to their husband. Since he's responsible for her as well, it means that she's his burden. Yes, exactly. Taking responsibility means carrying more weight. It means bearing burdens, hers, as well as our own. But being married to a godly woman is like the burden of having wings. Yeah, they add weight. Yeah, we must carry them around with us all the time but they also help us fly. We can accomplish more. We can go to heights that we could never reach on our own because of our godly wife. We can build a life. We can build a family. We can build a legacy that soars. Yes, it's a burden, but it is our glory to, get, to carry that burden. So men... Masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. I hope you see now that we cannot do this on our own. We are in need every single day of a miracle of divine grace to put our selfishness to death. See, Masculinity, biblical masculinity. It it, it ain't about walking into a house. Woman, make me a sandwich. No, it's about my life for yours. And we can't do this in our own strength, which is why Jesus came and lived for us. Jesus came and died for us. Jesus came and rose for us. That's exactly what Jesus promises to give us every day when we ask for it. And that's one of the things he promises to do in us as we share the Lord's Supper together every single week. This is a miracle of divine grace. He's feeding us. He's, in one sense, man, he's feeding our biblical masculinity every single week we come to the table. Because he is the definition of that. He is the source of that. Let me pray for us. Father God, this is glorious good news we see here that you created masculinity. We see that masculinity has been cursed by sin, but we see that Jesus has came and he has redeemed masculinity. He is work, at work in us now, making us more and more masculine like he is. This is a heavy weight, a glorious responsibility, and we ask that you would make us capable of bearing it. Holy Spirit, by your would you come into us? Would you take out the, the selfish man-centered thoughts in our mind and replace them with the truth of your word. Would you help us choose daily to love our wife like Christ loved the church? Would you help us choose daily to sacrifice for our children and those that we love? Would you help us choose daily to be men of faith, to be strong in the midst of battle and temptation and difficult seasons? Would you help us Lord? And as we come to you hungry, hungry for sustenance, hungry Uh, Because we have this huge need that can only be filled by Christ. Would you feed us this morning to the Lord's table? Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, before you were about to do the most masculine thing that's ever been done on the face of this earth, you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you and this is the new cup of the covenant, a cup of my blood poured out for the remission of sins. And so we come and we eat and we celebrate that fact today. Would you do your work in us?